Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Even though maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years of your life, you know, a lot of times we don't count the cost. And I want to talk about that tonight. And I want to talk about it. Go to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 57 through 62, New, New King James Version. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the, Lord, the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When I read that, I think, man, this is harsh. I mean, he's, these people aren't asking just, you know, hey, I need to go do something first. This is burying, saying goodbye to your family. This is some serious stuff, burying your dad. Jesus said no. Just real straightforward words here from the Lord. But I believe as we put them in context tonight, they're going to kind of reveal our, mar- our marching orders as Christians. How many of you here like, like nice things? I like nice things. You like to go to a nice restaurant every now and then. You like to wear nice clothes or drive a nice car. You just, th- you just like nice things. And I always have. I, I like where, you know, I, and it's the simple things. I'm not talking about big, expensive things. Like just, I like a, a nice new pair of white tennis shoes. I like white tennis shoes. A new pair of jeans or a shirt, you know. I just like, I like new stuff. I like, to, I like to wear new stuff. And I really like going to nice restaurants for a good meal. Sit down with some friends, have a good, you know, meal. And, and, uh, and one thing that I like to do just... I'm, I'm not, I'm not, please, I'm not bragging on this, trying to brag here. I'm just saying I, I enjoy picking up the tab when I go out with some friends or whatever. Now, don't be inviting yourself to go eat with me. <laughs> I want you to go, I'll invite you. But uh, I, I like doing that. It's part of being able to be blessed, you know, to bless someone. And now, except when I'm with mom and dad, of course, you know. I'll let them pick up the tab because I don't want to rob dad of his blessing. <laughs> you know. You want them to be blessed too. Well, several years ago, Tracy and I, we were, we were living in Dallas. I mean, we'd just been married a couple of years and kids or nothing yet. And, and we went with a couple, two or three couples from the power team. We went out to eat at this restaurant. It was a nice restaurant and we're sitting there, and we're, we're talking, and we get our menus, and we order. I didn't pay really attention to the prices of the menu, and so, you know, we ordered. And when the bill came, I just said, hey, guys, I said, let me get this. <laughs> uh, has that ever backfired on you? <laughs> I didn't fully comprehend the level of the restaurant that we were at that evening because when the bill came, I gave, I just gave the waitress my credit card, and when I, got, when I looked at it, I felt like I just paid the mortgage on my home. It, it was a rather large bill. See, here's the thing. My point is, it can be costly if you don't know the cost of something. I didn't pay attention to the, to the prices. 
We just ordered. I picked up the tab. If you, it can be costly if you don't know the cost of something. And what I see a lot of believers are finding themselves on this journey of faith following Christ is they get frustrated, they get disappointed, and at times they get burnt out. Have you ever burnt out, been burnt out following the Lord? I have. Because when they signed up to follow Jesus, they never really counted the cost. What will this cost me? A lot of believers today are like, you know, I, I didn't know all this was going to happen if I followed Jesus. It's just like I said Sunday morning. You know, you think, you, well, if I accept Christ, all my problems will go away. No, that probably all hell break loose. And they'll get worse. But you have someone to help overcome those problems. You're not in it alone. There's a price to be paid when you follow Jesus. The cost is simple to explain, but it's difficult to apply. Look at Luke 9, 23 and 25. He said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say deny. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This right here is an incredible scripture. This really is basically the gospel in a nutshell. It's a paradox of what we believe. Jesus is saying if you want to find life and life more abundantly, the first step is to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. It's just the opposite of what society teaches. Society doesn't teach us to deny ourselves. Society teaches us to take care of ourselves on this earth. Jesus said deny yourself. And unless you die to the flesh, you'll never be resurrected in the spirit. Hear that. You have to die in the, to the flesh. You have to die to this flesh, to the, to the desires and the things. You have to die to that. You'll never be resurrected in the spirit. You'll never walk in life more abundantly if you don't first die to your desires and to your flesh. Now, let me say this. God doesn't mind if you have the desires of your heart, Okay? but they have to be according to the word. You can pray desires of your heart all you want, but if they're not lined up with the word and they're evil desires, you're not going to see them come about and you don't want to see them come about. Maybe just getting back into church here tonight. Maybe, maybe you're brand new to church and you've heard the phrase born again. Maybe you're like Nicodemus in John 3, 3 when Nicodemus looked at Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? He said, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus was confused when Jesus said that. He's like, well, do I have to come out of my mother's room again? I don't get it. What do you mean, born again? How do I do that? Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. So until you die to this flesh, Jesus can't really live through you. The first step of counting the cost is I must die so Jesus may resurrect in me. See, following Jesus is a total reset. You know what I mean by reset, right? Anyone here my age or older? Remember Atari? <laughs> Caleb? You probably don't. I was a master pong player at Atari. That's like it. Never mind. But there would be times when I get frustrated with that game, and that, that video game was beating me, and it would work, 
and I was getting beat, you know what I'd do? I'd plug, plug it out, pull the plug out of the wall. And when I plug it back in, you know what I'd do? Reset. How many of you are thankful that in Christ, that you denied your flesh, you died to self, and because of that, you got a brand new start. You got a reset. You got a reset in Christ Jesus. Are you thankful that you're not defined by your past? Whew. Thank God. I'm not defined by my mistakes. Man, we are brand new in Christ Jesus. Old things have been passed away. Everything has become new. Did you know that's what happens every time you say, Lord, I repent of my sin? Old things are passed away. All things are being made brand new. But in order to start the journey of your brand new start, it's what starts with denying yourself, picking up your cross and saying, I will die to self and Jesus will live through me. That's, that's the best way to start your day. In Luke 9 here, we see practical application of Jesus' teaching and what it actually looks like to, de to deny yourself. See, part of the challenge that we have is that we want to follow Jesus, but many times we don't want, we don't want you know, we don't know what following Jesus looks like. We want to follow him, but what does that look like? Let me try to put this in context. In Luke 9 here, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's important to remember that, to note that, because it's in Jerusalem where Jesus will fulfill his greatest purpose. It's in Jerusalem he'll be betrayed, crucified, and resurrected. He's going to Jerusalem to pay the price for our sins. It's important to understand that because as Jesus is teaching these guys around him, the disciples, about taking up their cross, although metaphorically it's partially literal. Because He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to understand Jerusalem. You have to understand that in Jerusalem, there's pain waiting for me. That's what he was telling them. You have to understand, when we get there, guys, there's pain waiting for me. Understand that in Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And if you follow me, you need to be prepared to die with me. This is the conversation he's having with these guys. Now, Here's the thing. We really don't grasp the meaning of following. See, back then, the disciples were physically following Jesus. This is what it meant to be a disciple. Everywhere Jesus went, they went. When Jesus ate, they ate. When he slept, they slept. In fact, if you study the rabbi, Jewish culture and the disciples, what you'll find is the idea of being a disciple comes down to copying that rabbi and what he does. The, there are stories of disciples that would follow rabbis to the bathroom. And while they were in the bathroom, they would sit outside and pray for them. So many jokes right there I could go with. <laughs> Not going to do it. You'd be proud of me. I mean, that's crazy commitment right there. The whole point was this, whatever you do, I'm going to do. They knew what it looked like to follow Jesus. Sometimes we get confused in what it's like to follow Jesus. How many of you out there are, are so, you, like, you like to do social media? I like to do social media. I mean, I enjoy it. It can be a little, you have to, you know, take a break every now and then. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. 
uh, LA and Carol aren't here tonight, but Carol's even on uh, Facebook now. Be proud, be, ought to be proud of her. She said she never get on Facebook. She's on Facebook now. But anyway, I like it well. I like, I like it. I enjoy Facebook. Years ago, years ago, I went to send Dylan, my son, a message on Twitter. And when I started, you know, to send the message, and I went to send it, percent, I couldn't send it. You know why? Some of you do. He stopped following me. If you want to be cut out of the wheel in my family, stop following me on social media. <laughs> Have you ever gone to send a message to somebody that you thought you were tight with? You sent that puppy and you found out they're not following you? How offended did you get? Come on, be honest. See, the challenge that we have is we can hear a word and we can follow and misconstrue this thing with social media. Let me say this, that following Jesus is not as simple as a click of a button on your iPhone. Following Jesus means everywhere you go, come hell, come high water, mountaintops, valleys, even to the cross, I'll go with you. Amen? Jesus is telling these guys, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross, come after me, and in doing so, you're going to find your life. That's what he's telling them. Here's the thing, church. Jesus didn't need their help with his redemptive work. A lot of people miss this. He was saying, at the cross is where you're going to find your life, not in your work. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus has three unique encounters. He's on his way to die. And he knows it. And on his way, he has three different encounters with three different guys. The first guy we just read about says, I'll follow you. And he's really pumped up. Hey, I'll follow you. Jesus looks at the man and says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. It gets worse. Another man comes up to him and says, Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. And the man says, well, I want to follow you, Jesus, but first let me go bury my dad. My dad has just passed away. Jesus looks back at the man and says, let the dead bury the dead. And the guy's like, but it's my dad. I got to bury my dad. Okay, if that's the, if that's the you know, qualification, I guess, I guess I won't follow you. Jesus comes across another man and says, follow me. The man says, I really, you know, I want to, but before I start on this missionary journey here, let me go back and just say goodbye to my family, goodbye to my mom. Jesus said, the man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the service of the kingdom of God. And the guy's like, I just want to say bye to my mom. I mean, okay, if you won't let me do that, maybe I don't want to follow you. So you're probably thinking right about now, there's, if this is the case, there's no hope for me if this is the case. But let me show you what the Scripture does. It solidifies the credibility and authenticity of the Bible and how Jesus is the Son of God. Consider this. If you were starting a religion of any sort, think about this, and you're trying to recruit people to join, which he was doing right there, would you include this story in the book? I wouldn't. I mean, think about it. Come join our religion. No homes, no family funerals. Can't say goodbye to your mom. Join us Sundays at 10 for praise and worship in the Word. That's probably not going to fly very good. So what's Jesus doing? 
He's just preached a message and says, deny yourself. It's only losing your life that you're going to find your life. I'm headed to Jerusalem, and if you want to follow me, then prepare for Jerusalem. When you read the New Testament, oftentimes when Jesus was going somewhere and he made it challenging for people to go on the journey with him, Jesus would just show up in a big crowd. Then the Bible says Jesus would just slip away from that crowd. Because here's why. He wanted people to know this whole thing about following him has got challenges all in front of it. It's not an easy road. There's a cost that has to be paid. Think about it. When Jesus finished his ministry, he had a net gain, watch this, of 11 disciples. 11. Ministered to thousands. Started off with 12. At the end of his ministry, he has a net 11. Here's what he, you know what he discovered. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. Now, you're probably thinking right now, okay, uh, is this going to get encouraging? Is it going to turn a corner? Or Maybe. It depends on what your definition of encouraging is tonight. Now, when Jesus says deny yourself, what is it? Here's the question. What is it that you're denying? Meaning, until you know what you need in life, you don't know what it is that you're actually giving up in life. See, I want you to see what it is that Jesus was trying to do in these men's lives. He was trying to get them to give something up that, so they could receive. Because in him, everything, every need would be met in him. I remember... I remember my first year in college. <laughs> okay, let me back up. I'll be honest. I remember my first semester. <laughs> and only semester I went to college. I took a psychology class. Now you college people will appreciate this. Hush, Tyler. And this class I remembered and learned about Maslow's Hierarchy of needs. It's a big name. I'm proud of myself. In the 40s, Abraham Maslow, who was a professor of psychology, I learned this in college, by the way, defined the fact that in every human being, there are five basic human needs. Say, Mom, I learned something. Your money did not go total waste. There's a little bit of partying going on, but I got through that. My, my mom found out, <laughs> side note, when I was going to college that I was kind of going out and doing some things I probably shouldn't have been doing. And my mom, all four foot eleven her, got up in my grill one time and said, I ain't paying for your partying in college. If you want to do that, pay for it yourself. And guess what? <laughs> I stopped. Because <laughs> I didn't have any money. Maslow's theory about needs was this. As you receive the fulfillment of one need, then you move on to the next level. And so he starts with this pyramid. 
And at the bottom, he states the most basic need that he motivates people, and that need is food, water, and air. Okay? Now, of course, we would all agree with that. We all need those three things. You're not really worried about getting a job if you don't have oxygen to breathe. You can't hold on to life very long without oxygen. Your body needs food to give itself fuel. And the body's made up of 80% water. I learned stuff in college. These are basic needs, and Maslow was saying, unless these needs are met, people are not going to move on in life. Now, the second tier of the pyramid was safety. Every single one of us has this need to be safe. Safety. This is really cool. We need to be in an environment. We have a need as human beings to be in an environment that we're not in fear for our life. In our finances, we want a realm of safety and security. Come on, think about that. That's so true. Now, I'm the type of guy, when it comes to speed, I like to push the safety limit. When I was a little kid, I was racing motocross. I mean, I love speed. I love to go fast. I want to go fast. I like speed. Now, in the 90s, when I was with the power team, we were in Indianapolis. And one of our partners that partnered with the power team ministry owned three high-performance indie racing cars. Oh, yeah. It was the week of the Indianapolis 500, and the power team had a crusade close by. And he asked a few of us, would you like to come to the track to watch our practice runs? I'm like, yeah, absolutely, sure would. They were the only team on the track from 3 to 4 p.m. that day. And here's the cool thing. They had a car with an extra seat behind it. And the guy looked at me, the race car driver, looked at me and goes, hey, would you like to go around the track in the car? I said, of course I would, yes, sir. I said, you want me to drive? He goes, no, I'll drive. <laughs> All right, suit yourself, whatever. And we're hitting speeds like 170. I'm like, this is fast. And then and when we got there, the guy said, well, really, that wasn't that fast, 170. That, that's fast. That's fast in my book. Now, the other two guys that went with me on the power team, they did not, no way. We don't want to ride. We don't want, I'm like, why? And what it boiled down to is they, that wouldn't get their safety needs met. That would push beyond their limit. Now, Maslow continued to say, once you have food, water, and oxygen, once you create a safe environment, the next need that you need to meet is to be loved and to belong. Okay? That's where family and friends come in. Now, here's a basic principle that many of you know. In life, it's not really about what you do in life. It's really about what, who you do it with. Each and every one of us, deep down, have this inner desire to belong to something and to someone. This is what I love about this church. This is a church that shows people how to mend, how to restore their needs through a relationship with Christ. At this church, you can belong here before you ever believe in Jesus. Hear that. We'll accept you, we'll love you, and we'll help you. But understand this, our goal is for you to walk in that relationship with Christ. That's the goal here. Maslow, Maslow went on to say, once you feel the need of love and belonging, the next need you need to feel is the need of self-esteem. Every one of us has a desire to be respected by people. I don't care who you are. 
You want to be respected by your peers. We need respect as human beings. We need people to recognize that we've accomplished some things in our lives. There's a lot of people that go through life with low self-esteem. They feel ridiculed. They feel shame. And as a result, they never tap into all that God has for them because of low self-esteem. Come on, have you ever been there? I've had some low self-esteem in my life a time or two. We can all go back to moments in our life where, you know, we had a self-esteem ripped from us. Am I, am I preaching to myself or anybody can relate to that? I remember when I was 13 years old, I had a girlfriend. She's an older woman. She's 15. We go to Six Flags on a youth group, with a youth group. Things are going awesome. I mean, awesome. We're walking together, hand in hand, our fingers are laced. Good day. What, Michelle? Had really cool hair, part down the middle, feather back. Don't, not so much hair anymore, but got my girl, cool hair thing going on. Well, that's good. And as I'm walking, a friend of mine, who by the way is no longer a friend of mine, comes up behind me and de-pantsed me. Pulled my shorts down. Oh wait, it gets worse. I try to take a step. I trip because my shorts are around my ankle. I hit the ground. And if you've ever been to Six Flags in July... The pavement is about 2,000 degrees. I scream like a little girl. My girlfriend goes, are you okay? And I'm like, sweet Jesus, please just come back now. <laughs> My self-esteem is sh shattered. I was insecure for months, maybe years. I'm not sure. It's a while. It took a while, okay? The reason I was so insecure is because it matters what people do and say to you. It matters what people think about you. Man, I'll never forget that. Maslow says, unless you conquer this category of self-esteem and receive this need, you'll never step into the latter tier of the pyramid, which is self-actualization. Self-actualization is a realization that you're on this earth for a purpose. That's what self-actualization is. You've got a gift. You've got a talent. You are wonderfully and instinctively created by God. You're on this earth for purpose and on purpose. Come on. What Maslow will argue is you'll never step into self-actualization until you get these other basic needs met first. And it's true because there are people on this earth right now that don't have clean water. Don't have healthy food. And none of them are saying, hey, one day when I grow up, I want to be an astronaut. Not one of those people. You know why? Because they're just trying to get their needs met to survive tomorrow. They aren't people. There aren't people in the third world countries where words reference say, man, I wish I had a great family. They're not saying that. You know why? I wish I had a community to belong to. They don't want that. You know what? They just want to survive another day. What Jesus was saying was, if you want to find real life, it starts the moment you say, stuff is not what fulfills me. But the relationship with Christ is what fulfills me. 
Think about it. What good is it to have oxygen without Jesus? Jesus is trying to say here, I'm your family. I'm your protector. You have a place to belong with me. Jesus is the one who gives you self-esteem. Jesus is saying, I want a self-actualization moment. Then realize your calling and your purpose is to follow me. That's exactly what he is saying here. Until you deny stuff, Jesus said, which makes you a human being, you'll never be fulfilled. Until you deny all that stuff, you're never going to be fulfilled. Never. This is what it means to deny your life. This is the need of every human being, and Jesus is saying when you deny all that stuff, you're going to find all that and more in Christ Jesus when you deny stuff. Now that you know what you need, know, now you can count the cost of exactly what it is that you're going to give up. So let's go back to our story real quick, and I'm just about through here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. People are walking, walking along the way with him. man comes up to him and says, Jesus, I will follow you. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man, no place to lay his head. What is he saying to this man? Jesus is actually ahead of Maslow in his study Jesus is saying to this man, the first basic need you're looking for in life is food and security. But if you're going to follow me, I'm going to, need, I'm going to be your food and I'm going to be your security. That's what he's saying right here. This is why I've never understood why people say, I'd be a Christian, but it's boring. I've heard that a lot. I'm like, what do you mean it's boring? It's only boring if you're not doing it right. Listen, coming to church... It's the most boring thing in the world without a relationship with Christ. It's religion. But when you have Christ, it can be the most exciting thing in the world. It's not boring if you're doing it right. Nothing about this journey has been boring. Man, following Christ is an adventure. But you know what I've learned in following Jesus? There's no guarantees, but there's one incredible promise. If I follow him, I'm going to find my life. I'm going to find life more abundantly. Man, I gave up security when I, when I accepted Christ. It was overrated. The next man says, well, I'll follow you, but i got to go to bury my dad. That's a tough one for me. I love my dad. My dad's like my hero. Jesus looks back and says, you know what? Let the dead bury the dead. What's he doing? He's targeting, watch this, a basic need in the human condition, which is love and belonging to a community. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be your community. I'm going to be your family. You're more concerned with dead relatives rather than the one who brings life into your mortal body. And the guy's like, well, no, I can't. That's, I can't do it. That's just too much. And so he keeps moving toward Jerusalem. Another man shows up and says, I want to follow you, Jesus. Jesus said, well, let's go. The man says, well, first let me go say goodbye to my mom. And what did Jesus say? Nobody puts their hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit to serve the kingdom of God. What is, he, what's, what is Jesus doing here? He was challenging the man's self-esteem. He was challenging that man's self-actualization moment. Because a lot of people get on this Jesus journey, and as they're focused on Jesus somewhere along the journey, they become indecisive and say, wait a minute, is this really the right way for me? I know a lot of people in the middle of their Christian walk, is this really what I want to do? Is this really the right way for me? How many of you know friends 
that you were once committed, now they're like, you know, where are they at? Jesus says, actually, your calling, your purpose, and your unique identity is only found in me. So put your eyes on me because I'm going to fulfill everything you're looking for. That's what he's saying here. And as we read this, we've got to be careful not to make this more difficult than it really is. Here's what I mean by that. Christians are notorious for taking individual conversations that Jesus had with people in the Bible and make them rules, laws, and commands for all believers. Here's the, here's the thing about Jesus. He knows the idols that are in our lives. Jesus is looking at these guys and he's challenging the idol in their life. He's saying, you have a small God in front of you and I'm actually the big God that you've been looking for. You're never going to be complete. You're never going to have peace. You're never upset with Jesus. What he's trying to do is reveal the idol in your heart. Don't get offended by it. He's trying to draw you closer to him because it's in him that you're going to find the thing that you're searching for. Now, Jesus is not saying to us, if you follow me, you're never going to have a home. You're never going to have any food on your table. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying go sell your house. What Jesus is saying is that home and earthly possessions is not the thing that will supply your needs. He's not, saying not, to, he's not telling you not to go to your dad's funeral. What he's saying is, I've got to be number one in your life. Too often, watch this, we get concerned with the small funeral. What that man should have been concerned with was the big funeral that was going to take place after the cross and Jesus' death. That's what he should have been concerned about. He's not saying if you go on a mission trip, you can't go by and say, you know, goodbye to your family. He's saying, count the cost. Have you counted the cost? Jesus hasn't promised us a problem-free life, but he has promised us a better one, a good life, a beautiful life. If you follow him, so let's count the cost because there's a cost in following. Salvation is free in charge. Following Jesus is a massive sacrifice. Massive. Costs you everything to follow him. But in the big picture, man, that's, that's, what it, that's an incredible bargain. Because what did we really give up to follow Jesus? Think about it. What we gave and what we get far exceeds the sacrifice. Amen? We gave up ashes of our failed attempts at life for the beauty of salvation. I gave up mourning over dying dreams for the joy of resurrection life. Think about it. I gave up the spirit of heaviness for, my gar- for garments, his garments of praise. I gave up the sorrow of regret for the promise of success, a hope, and a future. Think about it. I gave up the wages of sin for the gift of God. Come on. I gave up bondage for freedom. I gave up condemnation for grace. I gave up weeping for joy. I gave up chaos for clarity. I gave up darkness for light. I gave up death for life in Jesus. Listen, I counted the cost. It's worth it. Look at somebody help me preach say, it's worth it. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's only in dying that you could ever experience the life that he's promised you. I'm talking about dying to your flesh. Every one of your needs are going to be found in Christ. I know tonight's kind of been challenging, but it's not challenging. It's the truth. And the truth will set you free. So count the cost. Amen? Count it. 
And I tell you, bottom line, it is totally 100% worth it. Worth it. And those friends that you brought that accepted Christ, help them understand it's worth it. Don't let them go back to that old way. Listen, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to take that seed and try to pluck it away from their life. And they made a commitment. Christ changed their life. Can't take that away from them, amen? But help them grow in that seed. Help that seed develop. Help that seed grow. And know this, there is a cost we all pay to follow Jesus, but it's so worth it, amen?